Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. In this episode of The Next Step, I speak to Tim Moore and Jake Macy. Tim and Jake run Dorado Capital, one of the few Australian family offices that is actively investing in search funds. Dorado has invested in traditional and self-funded searches both in Australia and overseas. Tim has an MBA and is a chartered accountant who, following a career in investment banking, led a self-funded search that resulted in the acquisition of Serpac, a software business servicing the mining industry. Before joining Dorado Capital, Jake was at KPMG in corporate finance for five years and spent nearly five years in the UK with Stenprop, a UK-listed real estate fund manager. I'm looking forward to talking to Tim as a prior searcher who now invests in search and to Jake, a professional investor who is running capital across a wide range of assets, including search. It's an interesting conversation because we cover a range of topics, but particularly bring a good perspective on what investors are looking for when they consider searches and backing searches, and also a perspective on what investors should be thinking about when considering search as an asset class. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you very much for joining us, Tim and Jake, on this episode of the Next Step podcast. It's great to have you guys here. It's a shame we couldn't be face-to-face, but lockdown restrictions all over the country have kind of made that a bit impossible, but it's it's good to see you guys for this conversation today. Thank you very much for coming on. Very much looking forward to Thanks it. for having us, Pete. Yeah. yeah, not a problem. And, you know, it's interesting because over the last few months, you know, we've been interacting on a range of things that have been happening in the Australian search market, you know, new searches coming to market, some investment opportunities and other things. So it's good to have this opportunity to t- talk in a little bit more depth around what search is as an asset class, but also as a career path for searchers that are coming to market. And I know that you guys had a great conversation with Annika Stokes a few weeks ago, and that podcast was was really interesting and gave some good perspective on your individual backgrounds and the work that you've already been doing in search. So I'll put in the show notes a link to that so um, people that are listening here can go there for the backstory. Um, which will give us an opportunity to talk in a bit more depth around um, search in the market in Australia today and and what you guys are also seeing globally. Um, So to kick things off, maybe can you just tell us how you first came across search as an asset class? Like where did you first hear about it? And then what have you been doing kind of over the last year or so to really get yourselves up the curve on, on what search is as an opportunity? So we have, as a family officer, a relationship with Axabar, who does some coaching for us. And he was the first person who introduced us to search with a sort of enthusiasm and said he felt like it would resonate with us. Neither of us had heard about it. And we kind of really rolled our sleeves up and came at it from sort of two angles. You know, what does it look like for a searcher? We spent a lot of time looking at material, particularly the Stanford material. And then I think from Jake's perspective, it was very much about getting a lens on what are we doing in our current private equity portfolio and how would this fit in? And just each time we pulled another layer off the onion, we got more enthusiastic about how it might fit in. Yeah, I think just looking at the date there, we're coming up about a year that we sort of first heard about search. So it's, it's still relatively new, but I feel like in, in the last year, we've learned learned a lot. As Tim said, we've been pretty eager to, to get into all the materials from Stanford and some of the other business schools that 
have got great resources. And from an investment standpoint, I think that the returns of the asset class speak for themselves. So that's kind of the first thing that, that got us excited. And we enjoy working with searches and small businesses to um, yeah, deliver returns. When you're in that market, Pete, and you see a lot of talented individuals and you see a lot of great businesses, you have the frustration. You're often coming back from those meetings saying, that's a great business. It's a shame we haven't got the right person to lead it. Or you come back from a meeting going, what a talented young guy. It's a shame he or she doesn't have a little bit of capital and, and the ability to go and buy a business. And I think this was a real kind of penny drop of, oh, well, hold a sec, here's an alternative. Yeah, absolutely. From the um, investment point of view is that you know, we, we invest in venture capital and direct equities and there's a kind of sense that the market's quite frothy, frothy in some of those asset classes at the moment. So there's a bit of hesitation from us to, to put too much money to work in, in some of those asset classes, whereas the business that searches are typically buying still trade at that sort of three to four times EBITDA multiple as they always have. And so I still think you know, to find the right business in that sector, there's, there's tremendous value. And I think that's interesting about you guys because you do invest across quite a few asset classes and have got that experience in your background. So you're bringing quite a balanced view to search. There are a few search investors that, that I've spoken to that are very committed to the asset class, but they really have spent a lot of their time, particularly recently, really just in that one class. Whereas you guys have a really good benchmark to say, you know, if we're looking for this type of return or this type of risk, then we can go into these kind of asset classes, whether that be listed or unlisted or early stage or late stage. So you can really put search as an investment in perspective. Yeah, I think probably at the moment, the biggest limitation for us with search is a developmental one in Australia. It is still gathering momentum. The number of people who've made the commitment to, to go out and search is still limited. So the capacity to deploy capital is still a bit limited, whereas in other areas around real estate and venture capital, it's, it's a lot more mature. But if you ignore that side of things, I think relatively on a risk return basis, it stacks up very well. And you guys have made investments offshore as well in the search space? We have. We've made two investments in the UK. We're quite comfortable with the UK market. I've worked there for, for a number of years. So we backed a couple of guys who did a self-funded search and acquired a landscaping business in April. And we've also backed one searcher in about June of this year in his search phase. Yeah, right. And how would you compare? I mean, obviously, there's a maturity difference at the moment between the UK and Australian markets. But but what are you noticing about the UK market in comparison to what the opportunity might be here in Australia? I think with the UK market, there's generally when you're speaking to, to searchers and people in that sector that they're familiar with the search as an asset class. And so there's less education around that. Often when we're speaking to new searchers in Australia, it's, it's a, there's an education piece that's kind of, I guess, accepted already in the UK. And there's obviously a significantly more, more deal flow and more, more investors at the table in the UK, which means I think there's a huge opportunity in Australia. We just need to build that. And, and I think we are building that community and ecosystem. Mm, I think yeah. one of the nice things about the UK was on the cap table were a number of people whose capital had come from being successful searchers. So it was yeah. just odd, given here it's so early, to there find yourself co-investing with some crusty guy in his late 40s or early 50s and you sort of say, well, you know, where did your resources come from? Oh, I did a search yeah. some time back, very successful, and I've unleashed a lot of capital out of that, which I, it's no point in me doing a second search, but I'd like to back searches. It sort of makes you say, okay, so the whole system does work. Yeah, and I think that's part of that maturity 
kind of comment I guess I made earlier, that that's a great indicator for that particular market. But I think also I've heard that quite often that a lot of in those more mature markets like the US, Spain, UK, a little bit through Europe, you get that kind of repetition. And I think that that's an indicator fundamentally for the model. You know, the, the fact that searches can be not only successful enough to effectively pay themselves a good salary with equity, but they're so successful that they become investors in their own right. They've actually created enough capital to recycle into other investments. And then on top of that, they decide to recycle that capital into search. <laughs> so, you know, they could take that capital and put it anywhere else, but they decide to put it back into search. I mean, that that's pretty compelling, really. Yeah, I think the other things that are probably good is there's less of an education piece because people are up to speed. I think the other player at the table who's up to speed are the banks. So I think there's quite good support there for transactions where where a search is buying and that, for example, on the landscaping business, we got a good good level of debt into it, which made it even more persuasive. Mm. One of the things that I've had a few discussions recently with both investors and searchers is the range of structural options when it comes to establishing a search. And obviously, there's kind of that really plain vanilla commercial structure that comes out of the Stanford and Harvard and and Chicago booth type of situation where, you know, it's usually an 888 type percentage kick up for the searcher. And there's usually certain kind of rights that come with the investor shares. And there's certain, certain limitations on the total amount of EV that you'd spend. And, you know, you can kind of characterize what you'd call a vanilla kind of search structure. Then there are a range of other variations on that theme. What are you guys seeing in relation to whether it be offshore or in Australia, the number of variants from that common core? And what's your reaction to moving away from vanilla to something other than that? I have seen a number of variants. I think the interesting point that I'll note is we often start further away from the, the kind of vanilla, as he, as he called it, and then often it kind of gradually moves back to what more looks more like a vanilla kind of structure by the time the deal is actually actually set so especially you know for, for funded searches i think generally you, you end up with that vanilla and that's what most investors are comfortable with but for the self-funded guys they may start with a slightly different structure but they often they often come back towards that kind of vanilla structure because i think that's where most deals have been done and two point before around searches becoming investors i think the reason they do that is because the sort of balance between risk and return is quite evenly split between searches and investors in that sort of vanilla structure. Yeah, I think that's a good way of assessing it. The If someone is hell-bent on not following the cookbook and going off piece, they're probably better off to be self-funded and really be a away. If they are thinking of a traditional search model with some tweaks, it, it just means there's a lot of conversation with your cap table and bringing people on board, et cetera, which you're probably putting yourself through a lot of unnecessary work. Yeah, I think the other thing is, you know, you wonder with a self-funded search, if you tip the balance in the favour of the searcher to the extent that you kind of just get there with with the capital you require to buy this business, but in doing so, assemble a somewhat kind of motley crew of people to support you and provide that capital, have you done yourself a favour? Would you actually have been slightly better off having slightly more generous terms for the investor, slightly less favourable terms for the searcher and assembling a really top gang of people to come in and roll their sleeves up and help you with the business. 
one of the benefits that is a really common one that's talked about from a searcher perspective is that group of investors that you get around you to help you through the process, both during the search and also during operation. And so you're right, you want to make sure that there's enough in it for the investors so you are attracting good quality money. <laughs> like I was speaking to someone this morning about it and you know that concept of not wanting just dumb money, you want good kind of active, engaged and experienced money behind you. You're right, getting that balance right between investor and searcher is pretty critical because it can end up being a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy if you end up failing because you just don't have the right investors around you. Yeah, and I think I think that there's the sort of hypothetical Mossman consultant, psychiatrist or whatever who's got a bit of spare cash, he's contributing to something. It might all be cash when it comes in the bank account, but it's very different from getting a smart guy who's ex-Macquarie or ex-AP fund who's run a couple of businesses, who's got time on his hand, is happy to really help. I mean, that can be transformative and they can have a great Rolodex as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think also, I mean, if you look at the amount of time that the model's been around in the US, and I know the US is a different market, but I guess that structure has been proven time and time again. So there, there's a reason why that what we're calling this vanilla structure is still in place and people tend to drift back towards it. It must be because there's there's something that's good about it, right? That wasn't a fluke that <laughs> they came up with those parameters. It was something that's balanced out over time and it's been tested again and again, which is great. So what I've noticed in the last six months, which is in part, frankly, due to my own increase in engagement in, in the Australian market, but there seems to be an increasing volume of searchers or executives or operators thinking about coming to market for a search, whether that's self-funded or, or a funded vehicle. What are you guys seeing at the moment in terms of the Australian market and, and potential operators? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think we are starting to see more people come to us and you know, wanting to learn about search and, and some really, really high um, calibre candidates speaking to a couple of guys off the back of that podcast with Annika you know, who've got that kind of consulting background from the top tier consultants and, you know, MBAs from, from really good business schools generally overseas. So, yeah, we're starting to see that people coming into the, into the, uh, into the space, so it's quite exciting. I think there's two other things that have really changed. One is people's aspiration that their career doesn't run as long. Mm. People would often say, you know, I view that I'd like to be retired at 65. And I want to be in a really good gig by 55 so that the last 10 years of my career, I'm doing whatever. Suddenly that's shifted 10 years. You know, people who are in their mid-40s are going, I've probably got one really good thing in me before I'd like to be finished up. And I think the other one that has fed in a little bit has been the whole sort of COVID-19 pandemic thing, just making people reflect on what do I want to do? And maybe being out of the office a bit and reflecting on that makes them realize that a good salary may not be the only answer being a material owner in a business and CEO and leader of a business over a period of time could be something very fulfilling. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's recognition as well when you speak to some of these searches that there is an opportunity at the moment demographically. There's a realisation that there are very good businesses out there that are um, owned by people who are you know, reaching retirement age and they're going to need to either pass that business on to, to a family member or probably sell that business. So I think, yeah, people do understand that there's an opportunity there and we, we certainly think there's a huge opportunity there. Hmm. You're a person who's listening to this and, and sort of toying with the idea of searching. You know, if at a barbecue or through a mate or whatever, you get a chance to have a chat to a partner of a 
suburban accounting practice and you quiz them and say, what have you got in your client base? It comes as quite a shock to find that a number of these guys have got a host of good little family businesses making two, three, four million dollars a year, year in, year out. Well, where those businesses have got succession plans and where those businesses are big enough to, to attract big PE buyers and trade sales is a different story. But for many of those businesses, they're going to be hit by divorce issues, they're going to be hit by health issues, they're going to hit, be hit by you know, family disputes of another nature. And an opportunity is going to trigger for someone to go in and buy a, a business where you can put your hand on the, on the tiller and it should be fairly straightforward to run and grow. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how big that marketplace is. I mean, I imagine you guys have kind of tried to find some numbers as well, and I've done my best, although it can be a bit opaque with the reporting and and those kinds of things. But, you know, earnings of between one and four million, there, there's somewhere between 60 and 80,000 of those in Australia. I mean, that's that's a lot of businesses that are of a ripe size for exactly this type of transaction. So, there's definitely not a fact that there's a shortage of opportunity. It's just a matter of trying to identify them and, and go through the process of doing that search and then engaging and getting that acquisition done. I think also a lot of business owners haven't really thought far enough ahead, both in terms of succession planning or even thinking about the fact that a sale might be an option for them, which means that there's only a very small proportion of those that are even on the market at all, let alone having it started a preparation process for it, regardless of how close they might be to needing to go through a transaction of that of that nature. And I think a lot of business owners are pretty confidential people mm. and they've seen other colleagues and mates go through the sale process and they realise it's very public. You know, that IM finds its way far and wide amongst all your competitors and staff. And all that. It's a very uncomfortable process. And if they can forge a relationship with a searcher who they go, you know, this guy's a bit like I was when I was 35. Mm. He's mm. going to grab the baton and take my legacy forward. And not only that, if, if, if it all goes well, this transaction's going to go through. And the first thing people are going to know is when we sit down and do a briefing with the staff, it's so much more appealing than a traditional mm. accounting firm, business broker type led sale process. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, but you're right. Like if particularly for a proprietary deal as opposed to one that's been brokered, it does make it a lot more confidential, doesn't it? You can actually avoid a lot of that kind of lifting the veil kind of process that's necessary in one that goes to market. That is something that would be quite compelling for a vendor, particularly in the Australian market. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, you know, you you touched on then, you know, if there are people listening that are thinking about going through a search process. One of the things that I reckon, and I've even had these conversations over the last few months that people are concerned about is whether or not there would be investors that would even be interested, right? Like they're like, oh, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't know any investors and I might be able to run a business, but I've never been involved in raising capital. And, you know, what if there's no one out there that's going to put money behind me? How would you describe based on the experience you've had so far, the kind of characteristics that would define a searcher that is backable from an investor's perspective? You look for in a perfect situation is a kind of blended cap table. And something like, let's say there's a dozen people on your cap table. It's always nice to maybe have a quarter of those with whom you've got an association. You used to work with them. It's a key family member with a bit of money who wants to back you. There's nothing like looking at someone and saying, well, you know, obviously there's confidence going back from someone who's known this person many years. Mm -hmm. I think the next group of people would be people who might have some interest in the industry they're likely to go into. If they've got a 
passionate about buying small manufacturing business, wouldn't it be great to have another few people on that cap table who've got real empathy and discipline and understanding of that and are motivated by that and can come in and contribute there? I think for the balance, which is probably the other half, you know, in the perfect world, it would be professional search fund people and it would be nice if possible to see a couple come on board from overseas. And I think those are going to be late to the table and they're going to come in and they're going to say, well, here's a guy whose uncle's happy to put a bit of money behind him. His previous boss is happy to put a bit of money behind him. He's got three or four people very interested in the industry. He's pursuing her putting money behind him. There's some smart family office money in Australia behind him and there's a few gaps at the table. This looks like it looks good for me. I'd come in. And that's going to give someone a, a, a diverse, really good mix in, in my mind. I don't know. Would you agree, Joe? Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And in terms of the, the actual search of themselves, what, what we're looking for, I guess, is someone who has got some, some real-world work experience. So that probably means that they're at least in their 30s and, and has got probably an MBA. If not an MBA, then you want to have that kind of work experience. That means that you don't need it. And, and has, has got opportunities to take, I would have thought, a good corporate role somewhere that has, has given that up to do the search, really committed to the search. Yeah, that opportunity cost is an interesting one, isn't it? The other thing is there are good opportunities to do this as a team. I think there are some people who, if they're very self-aware, will reflect and say, I bring to the table a heck of a lot of strengths, but maybe I haven't got the full rounded package. But if they can team up with the right person, that can be very strong. That... Uh, commercial landscaping business in the UK we bought was 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 two people in a team and I think we may not have backed either of them for on their own but as a team I think they're pretty strong yeah no we, we do like the partnership model I think it's got a lot of benefits those partnership kind of searches seem to fare well in the stats too I mean I think a lot of the reporting that comes out of the US says that those partnered searches typically perform better than a, the sole searcher. And I agree, it's, the, it's that balance. I think it's a combination of getting the blend of skills and experience right between the two, but it's also that fact of, you know, if you're going to jump off a cliff, it's much more comfortable to do it with a mate than <laughs> kind of take that plunge yourself. So you kind of are a bit in the trenches with someone else, which I think can be really powerful. And in terms of the Vesta mix that you just described there, Tim, do you think that we're close to that in Australia yet, being able to have that kind of depth? I think the offshore guys are still pretty edgy. I think there is a uh, – some of that is is just based, I think, on the cycle we're in in terms of pandemic stuff. I think they'd like to see a little more volume. But as one of them said to us, uh, all you need to do to really prick your ears up is find that a couple of your colleagues have made investments and they've been financially very successful and then suddenly – suddenly your interest gets tweaked. But I do think that the other legs to it are increasingly coming. I, I think we're going to see a number of circumstances where, for want of a better word, second-grade investors are going to express interest in supporting a search fund and they're going to be politely declined because the guy's going to be able to put together a cap table that full. doesn't need them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there's been a couple of examples that I've seen just in the last couple of months of that where – people were initially kind of holding back thinking there'd be plenty of space and then it actually came to the crunch and and there wasn't enough space because I think it's also a a market that the investors in Australia aren't used to you know if you think about the kind of investor that would invest in a private equity fund or even 
a a larger like a like the really big end family offices that kind of are keen on writing the 10 15 20 or 30 million dollar checks it's just a part of the market that they haven't experienced and so i think there's a feeling they should just wait for the acquisition to come around and then put some money in but that's where you kind of miss out i think also there's just a there's a pure track record kind of maturity thing that we need to go through right like we need a few of the searches that have been running for the last kind of 12 or 18 months to complete some deals and then we've got some acquisitions underway. We probably even need the passage of time so a couple of those can then exit out of those and show really what those returns look like in this market. So I think getting the volume at the front end of that pipe working well is going to be powerful, but there's probably a certain amount of time that just needs to pass for those metrics to really flow through to the other end, I imagine. Yeah, and I think every asset class needs its poster children and and Mm. Australian VC has had such a huge bump through the profile to come from businesses like Canberra and Safety Culture and Culture Amp and uh, Atlassian and whatever because people are suddenly going, wow. I mean, I remember my birthday, March 2000 and uh, 20th of March 2013, I think was the first Canva capital raising and it was for three million bucks. Yeah. Um, a lot of regret that we only put a very small amount of money in through our friends at Blackbird, but but yeah. you know suddenly we've got something that's rumored to be doing a thirty billion dollar um, capital rate, you know, valuation, and it and it's wonderful for the industry. We do need a bit of that in search. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think that's where some of those other markets are doing so well, like the US and Spain in particular. You know, they just happen to have an, enough volume go through that now people have realised that it's something that we can do. And regardless of how globally minded we all wish we were, <laughs> um, there is a certain parochialism around, you know, that's nice that sh- search works elsewhere, but does it really work in Australia? I think people are, you know, will be a lot more comfortable when they can see some more volume coming through. The other thing which would be good would be to have one of our premium business schools pick up an yeah. um, entrepreneurship through acquisition module Mm. melbourne or or whoever that would be i think a real good credit point and i think all of those offshore markets where they've had that strong academic influence it's sort of almost like someone's cheering from the sidelines a bit it really helps yeah i think that's a really good point i know that the guys at sydney school for entrepreneurship which is the kind of jv between the new south wales state universities have had some discussions about it already but you're right once you get I mean, that, that's in the US that's had a massive impact. You know, Chicago Booth, even beyond the the hand, Harvard and Stanford kind of examples has, has made a big impact. And on that point, actually, to wrap up the conversation, what do you think are the steps that we need to continue taking in this market to continue kind of lighting that fire under the Australian search market? What are the elements that you think we can drive to create that foundation for more search to come to market? I think it's just the continuous education education piece so i think the fact that you're doing a podcast and talking about it and keeping the conversation you know relevance really really important and you know we'll do our part speaking to investors and searchers and encouraging them to to take the leap and then hopefully we get a few as tim said poster child transactions that to to kind of show the world and show the rest of australia the the power of the search fund model i think the other thing pete would be it would be great to see a little bit more volume in very traditional search yeah. So that people aren't just focused on handouts and documents and slide decks from Stanford or whatever, and they're going, you know, yeah, this has got an Aussie model to it and there's Aussie standard documentation and it all fits our corporate environment. And I can kind of, for want of a better word, hit copy, paste and I'm up and running. 
Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because even when you get to the detail, some of the jurisdictional kind of aspects mean that you need to then tweak it at the end. So having some Aussie documents and some Aussie background. Consequences or whatever, you feel like it's been been road tested. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, guys, this morning. It's It's been great to chat and always good to talk about how we can work on building this market together and looking forward to seeing more searches come to market and encouraging more investors to do the same. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Pete. It was good fun. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to connect.